millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome once again to the Debunking Economics podcast. And today, a point of disagreement between myself and Steve Keen. We're talking Brexit. He thinks Britain is better off out. I staunchly believe that as long as the EU exists, we're better off being in it, being part of that free trade zone, and having a say at how it all operates. So, whichever side of the debate you sit on, you're going to have someone on your side today. But I am keen to hear what Steve's views are from an economic basis. And of course, I do, like everyone else, except that the EU has become a hugely bureaucratic organisation that does need reform. So, Brexit today on the Debunking Economics podcast. Well, of course, this week we've seen the High Court uh, saying that uh, Theresa May must now, before she can invoke Article 50 to Parliament, uh, she must pass a law and revoke the law that saw Britain join the EU in the first place. So, in other words, there has to be some parliamentary debate and a motion has to be passed. Uh, and there is the danger, of course, that it could then be knocked back by the House of Lords, a, a wholly unelected collection of people who believe they know what's best for us. So, you know, if we're looking at reform, uh, forget about Europe, maybe we should be looking closer to home. But that's politics. Let's talk economics. Steve, why do you think Britain should leave the EU? Well, I actually describe myself in in why I voted for Brexit as a Groucho Marxist. (laughs) All right. And that is one of Groucho's favourite comments was he'd never belonged to a club that would have him as a member. Yeah. Well, in this situation, I found myself a member of a club that I, 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 do I want to be in the club? And the answer was no, the club being the European Union, but in particular being the Euro. Now, of course, England is not part of the Euro. Precisely. But the the European Union sets the overall framework for that and imposes the economic policies on the countries that are members of the European Union. And those policies are so bad so uh, backward in thinking, making it even, even makes most neoclassical economics look progressive. Uh, it's so ignorant about the nature of capitalism that I don't want those rules controlling what we can do. So let's and, look at so uh, let's let's look yeah. at let's look at the Euro Festival then, because I mean I agree yeah. with you on that. I mean it is it's a bit of a half pregnant cow, isn't it? It's like trying to say, well, okay, let's have a a currency which is uh, shared across a, a broad area, a very different economies, uh, and with that, obviously, you remove any of the instruments that those uh, uh, that yeah. those countries have, uh, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's why you have this uh, huge discrepancy in in income and uh, and lifestyle across the European Community. Now it's almost like trying to make tell the bull to get pregnant. I mean, it's, it's you, you, if you wanted to design a, a more insane set of rules than the euro, it'd, it'd be a challenge to get there. Right. But Britain wasn't part of that. And it was no and, it, and hadn't been for some mm. time. So doesn't it yeah. then become just like a, a free trade zone? And if you have a free trade zone and you want to have free trade between uh, in, you know, in, in products, then don't you have, then have to start setting some regulations to say, well, OK, we need to ensure that those products are the same irrespective of where you buy them. And that's that's why you yeah. started to have this this regulation introduced yeah i mean that's the, the the free trade zone side of it is is an issue but i my feeling is i just expect the european union to fall apart the euro in particular to fall apart and certainly the maastricht treaty and the lisbon treaty and all the elements there that uh, that lock people into that currency and into the economic management rules that go with it and the penal rules that impose on countries that run deficits 
uh, I think all that stuff is going to come unstuck in a very dramatic way. And I'm, my basic reason for supporting Brexit was had very little to do with the British economy. It was thinking, well, it's going to break apart anyway. And the, the real problem with, with uh, the political system in Brussels is that they are simply t- stone deaf to any criticism whatsoever and impose their rules on anybody who's unfortunately stuck inside the Euro, the Eurozone. Um, but at some point, somebody's going to break out, probably either France or Italy will just say, that's it. And a right-wing government, uh, most likely, will say, we're going, to, we're going to abolish the euro and bring back the franc or the lira. And then the whole thing falls apart. And in that situation, the trade deals are going to be the, the, the least of our problems. Now, it's quite possible that that could happen before we even get to the stage of negotiating the terms of a free trade zone with the European Union. But that's looking like it might take two or three years. Yeah. So I just thought, why, why do I want to vote to be part of, part of a continuing catastrophe? Is part of it as well that you are you, you disagree with the idea? Because I know you're, you're not a big supporter of the idea of free trade. You believe there should be some yeah. element, elements of protectionism. Well, Europe in itself offers protection, isn't it? You have to, there's a tariff to trade with them. So they're, they're only free trade within, within their own zone anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing that I had, the reason that I thought the Europe, the, the, there was genuine grievances being created by England being part of the European Union, but not part of the euro. And that is that because we're not part of the euro, we haven't been sucked into the vortex of, of being forced to run government surpluses and the economy tanking as it's done in Spain and Portugal and Greece. Unemployment rates are 20, 25%, which is simply depression levels. And it's about time we started honestly calling them that. So rather than being sucked into the vortex of depression, because of those you know, those so-called four, four freedoms, including the freedom of movement, people are emigrating from those countries, not because they think they'd actually prefer the sunnier climate of England to, uh, to Spain or Portugal, but because they're escaping, systemically escaping an economic catastrophe because they have a way out. Right. Now, what that means is you have a systemic failure, which means it gets, ends up being pressure on not on the on the Londoners who get cheaper coffee baristas and all sorts of other services, um, but it's the people in the country in the in the regions who cop people turning up to put pressure on the welfare system there, and the and the available jobs and the wage rates there, and that is what gave rise to UKIP. Now, if you look back and see, could anybody have warned of this? Could you ever possibly thought this would happen? My favourite old Wynne Godley paper, that brilliant paper from 1992, Maastricht and all that, which you can find in the London Review of Books, just search and find it online. And he finished up saying that given the conditions of the era where you couldn't devalue anymore and you had no capacity for doing fiscal policy either, he said it will leave emigration as the only alternative to poverty or starvation. So he was warning this would cause excessive systemic emigration. And, of course, emigration has been either to the regions that benefited from the euro, which, of course, is mainly Germany, or emigration to areas that didn't suffer from the euro, which, of course, is England. Right. So we, we were escape valves for the failed policies of the European Union, and I wanted to remove the escape valve. Well, I okay. So, irrespective of the cause, Britain having people from overseas. I mean, there's the argument that goes that uh, you know they're coming here, they're paying their tax, they mm. have jobs, and they're you know therefore they're creating wealth. Is that such a bad thing? Well, it's it's also a question of you know there's, there's a, if you grow too quickly, you simply have to provide additional services like you you, you do with these capital broadening rather than capital deepening. And all your resources go into things like adding new schools, adding new roads, adding new hospitals. And guess what the English government is doing at the same time? Imposing austerity, going the opposite direction, which meant that people who were down the bottom end of the pecking order of the social system of England 
who used to be industrial workers and so on in, in the Midlands, uh, they found themselves copying less services and more people competing for them. The opposite of what you're supposed to do. So this is where the anger came from. And un until Whitehall wakes up to that, and of course also our um, it, 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 it different problems with our friends in the United States as well, then it's going to continue feeding the anti-establishment anger that was behind Brexit in the first place. So immigration per se is not necessarily a bad thing, so long as you plan for it and you allow yeah, and you allow that capital investment to to meet the demands of it. So you can before before you can it's like a company, isn't it? You've got to invest in the machinery before you yeah. can actually reap the rewards of what those machines are producing. And we were de-investing at the time. We we're having this massive immigration influx caused by not by people voluntarily moving to a better to a better system, but escaping one that was collapsing. Right. So. The other, so the free movement of people is is was definitely one of the major reasons why people wanted to uh, to to leave the European Community. Yeah. The other one, the other one was, you know, this talk about threats to Britain's sovereignty. What's your take on that? Well, if you when I when I would challenge the European Union as being anti-democratic, uh, I think Valentin is his name. One of my correspondents on Twitter wrote back saying it's democratic. Look at this system, and he showed it to me, and I basically burst out laughing and said, "You call that democratic?" Because the European Parliament is the only parliament in the world which doesn't originate its own laws. Now, I'm no great fan of politicians drafting in the first place, but what this actually meant was instead the European the bureaucrats in, the, in Brussels drafted the proposed laws. Now, they're all infected with the, not the all, but most of them infected with the neoclassical order liberal view of how the world operates. So all these laws are encoding what neoliberal economists or even worse, auto liberal economists think makes, it a, makes an economy work well. And then those laws are sent to the European Parliament where they can be voted upon, but it also sent to the 19 members, so is it 19 or 28 member states, I think it's 19 in this particular case, and they, those states have to agree as well. Out of the whole mishmash, it means good luck in trying to amend a bill that's been drafted by the bureaucrats in Brussels. You either pass it or you don't. And because it's actually been the, the finance ministers themselves also have a say uh, in the whole thing, it, it means pretty much those so-called democratic element uh, of the European campaign, Parliament can be bypassed and is basically impotent to begin with. So in that sense, if you're actually then having rules created by that lot being imposed upon your country, yes, you have lost some of your sovereignty and you don't have any way of voting out the people who are drafting the laws in the first place because they're fully employed bureaucrats employed by the European Union and paid for uh, by that system. So if, that's, if that system was better organised, if there was more democracy in it, if it was seen as being, uh, uh, you know, a more representative uh, body, would you be... And if we didn't have the euro as well, for example, I mean, uh, the basis of the idea... And, you know, let's remember that this all started uh, really straight after the war as a way of saying, well, yeah. look, if we all work together, we might, we might not fight each other quite so often. Let's all be friends. I mean, that was, that was sort of the basis of it. That's not... A, I mean, that's a fairly noble aim, isn't it? I mean, if it was sorted out the right way, and I, you know, take the point that there's a lot of untying to do, but the basis behind it is a good idea, isn't it? Well, this way, what do you think about the Asian Union? Well, I don't think it's ever going to happen, is it? I mean, there's talk of it. Exactly, but, yeah. exactly. In other words, could you imagine one, one city somewhere in Asia trying to set economic policy for China, Japan, Thailand, South Korea, and Hong Kong? Yeah, it, 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 it's take a step back from this and see just how far did we go from wanting to have a way to collaborate and to avoid conflict arising in the first place to trying to create a system that homogenizes across an extremely non-homogenous society. And this is the, the point that, that 
it was good to have a talking fest. Good to have like an ASEAN in that case, a, a place where we can get together and have discussions. And but if that then composes what the policy rules are on extremely different countries, and particularly, you know, of course, the euro being the, the, the worst element. But even without that, um, then you don't necessarily have something which is going to promote uh, peace. You might have a thing that actually promotes conflict because people chafe at rules that are inappropriate for them. So there's a, there's a scale to which it can go. And the, even Milton Friedman's made this case. If you look back and see Milton Friedman's attitude to the European Union, he was saying they're trying to emulate the United States where there's a single language, varying cultures, but they're not totally different, and complete mobility of labour and capital between states. And when they move, they move from one position to another. Uh, they take their welfare payments with them if they're getting any federal government welfare payments. Uh, none of that applies in Europe. And so trying to build a system there without reflecting how different its backgrounds are in different languages, uh, very different cultures and very different economies as well. And no centralised transmission mechanism like the federal treasury is for America. It was never going to work in the first place. Now, I guess part of the problem as well is that uh, capital does accumulate geographically, doesn't it? So London does a hell of a lot better than the regions in Britain. And I, I suppose when you start to look at an entity like Europe, the same thing happens on a larger scale. So obviously Germany is doing a lot better than Greece or Spain, for example. Oh, yeah, massively so, and that's why people are emigrating there, which is actually adding to the pressure internally on, on Merkel. So it's, it's a, I mean, if the parts of South, South, Africa, South Europe are being depopulated. I've been for drives through Croatia and Greece with uh, various people taking me for speaking events, and they say, oh, this, this village is empty now. Where everybody gone? Oh, Germany or England? Mm. And you actually, the level of concentration is becoming so bad because you don't have that equalisation system with, with, with government transfers making up for private uh, private deficits. Um, that That is depopulating the country. So it, it is really quite a, a, a dangerous situation we're in. So why, uh, didn't, so why didn't Greece, for example, bail out? So I remember in my youth, Greece used to be the place you used to go for a cheap holiday. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Greek economy was pretty much based on that, that it wasn't very expensive to go there. So tourism boomed. Uh, now it's as yeah. expensive as going anywhere else. It's as expensive as going to, to you know, spending the same amount per night as you would for a hotel in the West Country, for example. Because they, what, they can't devalue. They can't devalue anymore. They gave up devaluation and they gave up very independent fiscal policy as well. So why didn't they bail out so that they could devalue? Why didn't they just say, yeah, we owe all this money, really sorry about that, we're defaulting on it, we're no longer part of Europe? Well, partly because they are, they want to remain part of Europe for the political reason of Turkey on the other side and worry about uh, Soviet influence, So, or not Soviet, no, the Russian influence. So there's a, that's a major political reason people want to be part of Europe and Greece and willing to make ridiculous sacrifices to do that. So that's, that's a political background to it. But also, their economy is, is being so weakened by the euro... Um, that the, the, they, they could do it. I mean, I was actually thinking overall they'd probably be better off if they did, did break out and write off all the debts and start all over again. But they'd still be running a massive trade deficit. They import most of their food. They import oil. They then re, re-export a lot of the oil uh, and re- refinery processes as well. Uh, their tax system is a joke. Uh, so the capacity to capture any revenue generated locally is also very difficult. So all, all these elements made it extremely hard for them to do it. And you know, it would have been a very brave move, whereas, of course, for France or Italy to do the same thing, much more feasible because they're much more self-contained economies. So are there any downsides for Britain having decided to pull out? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there is, I mean, for a start, Europe is basically saying, we're going to erect a Berlin Wall. Yeah. 
fundamentalists what they're saying. You know, we don't want people leaving, so we're going to make it painful for those who do leave. Uh, and so that alone is, is a problem. Um, and but on the other side, what you've seen as well is that, first of all, the government's given up on its stupid proposal to run a surplus, which, which we can discuss in another day why it's stupid. But that, that is one positive policy, that the, the Cameron's emphasis upon reaching a surplus is gone. That's a positive for the economy. And then the devaluation, which has been quite substantial, mm. means that even though we've lost a lot of British manufacturing in the last 30 years, it's gone from 23% of the economy to about 12 Having lost a lot of that manufacturing, it's still possible to to get that and uh, to become competitive again in ways they weren't beforehand. So things like car exports are rising because British cars are now up to twenty percent cheaper, or can be in foreign currency terms than they were before the devaluation. Right, but is that devaluation? So all the, all the, yeah. is that devaluation going to be enough to cover the tariffs that we're going to have to pay to ship goods into Europe? Though the tariff the European Union charges American cars is ten percent. The devaluation is roughly twenty percent. Right, but is it going so, to stay? Is it going to stay there though, or is it going to level itself out? I mean, could we? Because isn't it going to be the case that well, okay, the British economy is doing quite well now. The whole reason the the pound has been devalued is because of the fear of the future. But if uh, if the future looks rosy, um, I mean, the, the the two are going to. There's going to be that interaction yeah. between the two, isn't there? There will be, but uh, it, at least it changes the emphasis. Yeah. Uh, and like what I, what I want to see is people worrying about England's massive trade deficit. The one that matters is not the government deficit, it's the trade deficit. And finally, you're turning attention to that and looking at the role of the currency, you know, which John Mills has been arguing for a long, long time. That's actually a positive development coming out of Brexit and how the politicians have reacted to it. Mind, plenty of negative reactions as well, by the way. I was horrified by their arguments about uh, visa checks on students and other, other other elements like that that really seem to be attempting to secure the redneck vote in the same way that uh, Kim Beasley did back under Labor when Howard went uh, right-wing in Australia. Yeah, so there needs to be a bit more educated debate about the whole thing, doesn't it? Because people mm. have people have formed sides on it. They're either for it or against it, and uh, you know, maybe maybe the middle ground is where we should be looking. A bit of intelligent analysis might help. And a lot of what I see, people want to hang on to the European Union because they want to hang on to the idea of European unity. Maybe coming from the outside makes it easy to make this uh, perspective, but I think the European Union is actually contributing to the fragmentation of Europe. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you're right there, and um, we, we should finish maybe on the, on this point. But, yeah, there's that confusion, isn't there, about people who mm. say, well, look, I quite like the idea of being European. I'm British, but I'm also European. Uh, that, and you still can be European because we are still – because we're not leaving Europe. Uh, no. We're just leaving the European Union. If you look on a map of the world, we're not in Asia. We haven't moved to the United States. We're still part of Europe. You are still European. Yeah, still part of Europe with a bit of water in between, which seems to make all the difference, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, but there again, a lot of people seem to like it that way. Uh, good to talk, Steve. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, mate. Uh, to me, the crying shame is that young people in Britain who now want to go and broaden their uh, horizons and pursue their career in Europe, it's not going to be that easy for them, is it? I mean, uh, free movement of people work both ways. And I can't help thinking if there'd been some sort of moderation in this whole European model, it might have worked. But Steve's right. Uh, Europe is now determined to play hardball because they don't want to make uh, it seem that leaving is easy. Wasn't that a Phil Collins' song, Leaving Me Is Easy? Uh, next time, uh, monopolies. Why do economists hate them so much? And are there situations when a monopoly could actually be a good thing? Well, Steve reckons a lot of competition law is flawed. Why and how? Find out in the next Debunking Economics podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.